there's this major break in in our ancestral psyche. Um, you know, we couldn't use these plants anymore. Hello, friends, and welcome to Medicine Stories, the podcast where we are remembering that story is medicine, magic is real, and healing is open-ended and endless. I'm Amber Magnolia Hill, and today I'm talking to Catherine Soli all about poisonous plant medicine. And of course, I'm thinking about Samhain coming up, Halloween, this very pivotal, very sacred time of year that I think no matter how you feel about either one of those holidays, which have come to be conflated into one, you can feel it. There's just something magical about October and late October and early November, and our ancestors felt it too. And something that I always recall learning about. It was in the book Witchcraft Medicine that I read about 13 years ago when my oldest was a baby. And in the show notes for this episode, Catherine and I have shared, I think, five um, awesome books about poisonous plant medicine. So that book is there. It's written by three German scholars. It's not like a modern Wicca pagan book written by some 22-year-old. It's really a neat um, deep dive into European uses of of plants and especially in, um, you know, in the old days and the old ways and in the wise women who were named witches and sometimes persecuted, killed, burnt alive um, for their knowledge of herb lore and healing and control over big things like life and death. And one of um, one of the things I always remember learning about that book is where this idea that we have today of Halloween witches flying on their brooms came from. And it's really tied into the poisonous plants, many of which we'll talk about today, and how the, these wise women would use them in ointments, because of course you don't want to take these internally in any regular dose that you would take for any other herb. Um, Catherine and I talk about that, so please always consider safety first when working with poisonous plants, um, just essences basically, or topical ointments. And that depending on the herbs they worked with, they would induce visionary states, and that these visionary states were likened to flying. And, you know, the broom association is being associated with the hearth and the home and just like taking care of everyday business and everyday life within the family, within the village and the community. Um, and, you know, it's really fascinating looking into the history of of witchcraft in Europe and the witch trials and the burnings. And um, it's just, it goes so deep and really there's this huge association it wasn't just that these were wise women and healers, although of course there was that too, but with Christianity and patriarchy coming down so hard, it was specifically this accusation that these women were engaging in sexual contact with the devil himself, which is, it just sounds so absurd and insane to us today because it is. Um, so you can really 
you know, when you when you realize that that's what these church fathers were believing, were writing books about, um, or sharing about, you can start to understand why they came down so hard on these women who simply had knowledge of healing plants. Um, so I just wanted to start this off with that tiny little history lesson. There's a million books, podcasts, things you could dive into if you want to know more about it. It's hard to learn about. It's really sad. Um, you know, I I don't use the word witch for myself. I know a lot of people just love it and it feels so empowering for them to reclaim that word and I get it. Like, it's fine. You know, I, I see the beauty and the power in that word, but just knowing so much as I do about the history of the Christian persecution and <laughs> That, that word is just too heavily weighted for me with that. And again, I understand the reclaiming that people are doing around it, but I cannot untangle it from the history that I'm aware of. Um, so I just continue to be an herbalist, <laughs> be a mother, be someone who's interested in, in healing with plants of all kinds, including, including the poisonous plants. So I'm really excited about today's interview. And I want to tell you about the two... Patreon offerings that Catherine has made available for patrons of this podcast. And actually, it's a giveaway again. And so, giveaways are always available to everyone, not just patrons. You can find it and enter the giveaway at patreon.com/slash medicine stories. Oh, by the way, it just hit over a thousand patrons last night. It was at a thousand six last I checked. And that's amazing. That's a big turning point. It feels so good. And I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so Catherine is offering two different things and three of each of these two different things. So six people will win. One of the offerings is three spots in her introduction to poisonous plant medicine online course. In this three-hour online workshop, you will get an introduction to practices of plant spirit medicine and poison as medicine. We will discuss the history, lore, and medicinal use of poisonous plants and fungi such as belladonna, mandrake, datura, the yew tree, and fly agaric. Through the lens of plant spirit medicine, you will experience their medicine and messages without having to ingest them. The second thing is three bottles of her essence blend called Shining Darkness, a poison garden blend. The Shining Darkness is an essence blend designed to guide us through the dark, circuitous passages of our own being, for it is in these dark chambers that we find our wholeness. These plants won't do our work for us, but they can help us to discover deeper levels of sensuality and embodied communion and connection with life. The ingredients are essences of Datura stramonium, Datura inoxia, henbane, hellebore, belladonna, yew tree, and water hemlock in brandy. And I love this Joseph Campbell quote she has here in the listing. The cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. So Catherine has dedicated her life to the study and practice of non-duality and inner work. She is the author and illustrator of Here You Are, a collection of original minimalist tantric paintings and straightforward non-dual writings designed to guide you into the present moment, into your body, and into your heart. She teaches classes on topics such as meditation, poisonous plants, and myth. 
Catherine also works one-on-one with people looking to remember their authentic selves through the use of tarot readings, dream interpretation, herbal medicine, intuition building, mindfulness, shamanic journeying, creative expression, and meditation. She graduated with a degree in fine arts from Naropa University, a Buddhist-inspired university in Boulder, Colorado, and did a sacred plant medicine apprenticeship with the Gaia School of Healing in Putney, Vermont. She recently finished a training in Hakomi, a type of mindfulness-based, body-centered psychotherapy. Okay, before we hear the interview, I just want to let you know that I've been going through some things in my personal life. I don't know if I will share them. Um, It was actually hard for me to record the intro up to this point. I had to stop because I felt winded. Um, And I'll be fine. I'll be fine soon. It's a short-term acute thing that will pass. Um, And I'm also dealing with stuff with my alcoholic father who's been hospitalized a few times and I need to go take care of some things around that soon. So I don't think that I will have um, an episode out in two weeks. It might be a month, hopefully less, hopefully three weeks, but I can't commit to anything while I heal myself and take care of all this logistical adulting stuff with my dad. Um, Oh, and so before we get into it too, I just looked up the name of this book I was trying to remember, Malleus Maleficarum, usually translated as Hammer of the Witches. It was, it is the best known and most thorough treatise on witchcraft. I'm reading from Wikipedia's page right now. It was written by the discredited Catholic clergyman Heinrich Kramer and first published in the German city of Spire in 1487. So, I mean, what a cool name, right? Malleus Maleficarum, Hammer of the Witches. And if if you're interested in diving more into this history, then um, you probably don't actually want to read the book. It's like, you know, written in Latin 500 years ago, more than that. Um, and it's really dark and hard to read. But just, you know, diving into a little more of translations of it or how people are reading it now is really interesting. And there is a podcast episode with that name. I think the name might be Hammer of the Witches. I'll link to it in the show notes by the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast. It's years old now. Many years ago, I first listened to it, but it was what first made me aware of some of the like demonic aspects of the history of witches in Europe or, you know, not the actual history, but the way that the the church interpreted what was going on. Um, So I'll put that in the show notes. It's very interesting. And, you know, it'll add a link to one of the best books on like um, global witchcraft that I have as well. So lots of links in the show notes. You know, I always want to send you deeper into the subjects you're interested in. And so without further ado, let's listen to this interview with Catherine Soli. Hello, Catherine. Welcome to Medicine Stories. Hi, Amber. So happy to be here. Good. I'm so happy to talk to you. Um, it's pretty cute because the way I found you was through my husband, Owen. Oh. <laughs> and I know you guys chat on Instagram a lot. And he was just like, are you following Catherine? Are you following Persephone's path? And I was like, no, but I love that name. And um, oh. Oh, it's so sweet. Yeah, we have that plant spirit connection. Yeah. Yeah, he's always like updating me what you're posting about and what you're doing. <laughs> oh, 
And yeah, I'm grateful because, you know, things get so easily lost in these online realms. So it just always tunes me back in to what you're sharing, which is this aspect of plant medicine that is so often overlooked and that really only just like a handful of people are actively sharing and teaching about. And this is the poisonous plants. Um, So I'd just love to begin by asking you to share how you came to walk the plant path, first of all, but then into this really specific realm of, of plant medicine. Um, well, I, I'm someone who was talking to plants when I was a little kid. Oh, you're one of those. (laughs) (laughs) Um, which I don't know really where that came from because my parents are like material reductionistic kind of, my dad's like a straight up atheist and, um, but I think it's just like natural that kids do that when they're left to their own devices outside, um, and and it never fully really left that that connection to plants and the um interest in plants but I didn't really get into herbal medicine I mean casually here and there I lived in places where herbal medicine was um commonplace like like where I lived in Boulder Colorado for Mm -hmm. about 10 years Mm -hmm. which it's like yeah herbal everything like herbal medicine and very um I guess progressive in a lot of ways yeah um but I didn't really seriously start studying until my mid-20s um and that time period when like from um well I in my mid to late teen years were really a difficult time in my life. Um, Just like very dark, very self-destructive, painful, and very disconnected. Um, But even in those times, I still had mm, my, my tree friends, like trees and plants that I would go and feel emotional just like thinking about it um just go and sit with and talk to and kind of speak my troubles to um so there's always this kind of outlet and always this sense of support and um safety and like I had elders and teachers around me trees plants (laughs) that were so lacking in my human life the rest of my life um but in kind of response to this this darker time period in my life I got into meditation and eastern philosophy and um spent many years like very deeply um entrenched in that world and that perspective really um informs the way that I work with plants now and a lot of that work that I was doing I was still kind of working with the same energies like I was doing a lot of work with wrathful deities who in um, eastern religions are a lot of people are probably familiar with Kali it's it's these kind of archetypal figures that you know cut heads off and wear necklaces of skulls and drink blood and 
uh, live in the trinal grounds and dance in the trinal grounds. What, what's that? Oh, like cremation grounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, where the, the bodies are burning. And, and then a common image you'll see is like these cremation grounds um, with a deity, you know, deities having sex in this, um, <laughs> in this cremation ground with dead bodies. Not usually the dead bodies aren't depicted, but it's known that that's what's happening. Um, this is kind of familiar to me from my religious studies days. Mm. Um, are, so are these mostly, is this mostly like an Indian or Hindu? It's, it's in, in Hinduism and in Buddhism. Mm. Um, a Tibetan Buddhism is the part that I'm mm. familiar with. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. 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 And then, um, and then when I went to herb school, like the first weekend, I think it was, um, I ended up meeting a poisonous plant there and, and it just feels like it's just been a continuation of this kind of work of going into these quote unquote darker places, but doing so consciously. Um, were you aware, first of all, which plant was it? And were you like aware as you felt a pull towards the plant and towards the poisonous plants? Like, oh, this is kind of a continuation of the work I've been doing with these deities. It was hellebore, which is a really, really sweet, um, has these sweet little flowers. It's also called Christmas rose because they bloom in the winter, which is really magical. Um, like they'll have flowers and new leaves coming up even as there's snow on the ground. Um, sorry, I'm trying to remember what you're question. Were you aware of, of that as a continuation of what you'd been doing before? Yeah, I think, I think I was, it was, um, it's kind of just like the air that I breathe so I don't think I consciously was like oh this is the same thing as wrathful deities until later Um, especially as I started to meet other types of poisonous plant spirits who are more wrathful than hellebore is like pretty sweet Um, (laughs) you're also pretty sweet and gentle at least that's how you you come across you know Mm -hmm. um and, you know, it's funny the way we perceive people and, like, the stories that we spin around them. And it's always funny when people tell me, this is how I think you are. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, well, that says more about you than it does about me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I'm curious, like, if you think that you are that way and if um, – so, like, what, is, what was the, the connection with the wrathful deities? Why was that important to you? Oh, it's like such a good question. I don't, I do, I feel the sweetness in myself. And I've actually thought about this a bit because I think it's not a coincidence that I'm this vessel right now that's sharing about poisonous plants. I'm very Mm non-threatening, very gentle, very sweet. I think, um, it can be hard to hear some of these messages if it's coming from a place of like intensity or um, 
aggression, like even just a mild, subtle aggression. I think it, we need that, that sweetness with the poison. Yeah, I like that a lot because I can think of some other like poison plant teachers who I may have come across early in my herbal wanderings who just, um, you know, they really like project the image of like, mm-hmm. I wear black and like, yeah. I'm a witch or, you know, and, yeah. you know, just that um, is only going to resonate with some people. Right, right. It's just going to, it's kind of like preaching to the choir. Mm-hmm. And I feel like right now the plants, these specific plants want to have a deeper reach or not just that they want to, but that it's like necessary in our evolution that we're, we, if we're going to survive as a species, we're going to have to face our shadows. We're going to have to acknowledge that we all have trauma and, um, and the plants I feel like are such a safe and loving gateway into that world. The plant spirits, when I say safe, I don't mean it's safe to ingest them. Please don't. Um, but their their spirits feel very, to me, very safe. And the students that I've had, the people that I've guided in doing this kind of work, um, I've never heard anyone have a negative experience or an experience where they felt unsafe with these plants. Mm. Um, yes. Remind me if you think about it before we end to talk about like how you're working with them um, and that mm-hmm. safety piece. But mm-hmm. first I would like to hear more about this, this trauma piece and how you are your whole framework sort of for the working with the poisonous plants is going into the darkness and really like being with the trauma and transforming it. So yeah, like you said, we can heal on both individual and collective levels. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everyone I'm sure is, is very aware of the fact that we're living in very dark times and um, kind of scary times. And I think a big part of that is that we're now in a culture where there's not space to integrate traumatic experiences and that we're having a lot more traumatic experiences than maybe we would have had in um, previous generations. Mm-hmm. Even just just being aware at all (laughs) of what's happening in our world is daily traumatizing. Um, And there's so many things um, that we're constantly being exposed to that it's, it's overwhelming. Like the things that we have to um, hold in our bodies and our systems, you know, that is just, one layer that we're all exposed to, but then we still have our interpersonal traumas. We have, um, you know, big T trauma, like things like accidents or um, war or death or, or assaults, like the things that we think of as being big traumas. And most of us have at least one of those. I would kind of venture to say probably all of us have at least one of those experiences. And, um, 
But then there's also little little T trauma, which is just like can be a constant chipping away at your your sense of self-worth. Just like what I was speaking about, like seeing the news all the time or even just being advertised to being constantly told something's wrong with you, something wrong, something is wrong with your body, something's wrong with your skin, with your the way that you hold your body, with whatever just just constant, constant advertising, something's wrong with you, something's wrong with you. Even in like herbalism, there's, there's can be this kind of, you know, you have to have these herbs or you're going to die. <laughs> not, not that dramatic, but you're not going to be good enough. Something's going to, you're not going to be good enough and uh, you won't be lovable. You won't fit into this world. Is this trauma aspect of working with poisonous plants something that you learned from others? Are other people talking about this? Is this a common approach to them? Or is it really like specific to uh, your experience and what you've learned? Um, I haven't really seen other people talking about this. Um, I think that what I have seen with the poisonous plants the way that people are relating to it tends to be um, not this. <laughs> um, which I understand why that is. I think it it's, can be um, <sighs> overwhelming. I just am imagining people even just listening to this, listening to me talk. It's like there's probably a part of of you all who is overwhelmed even just hearing this or just, I don't want to hear this. This is too much. I don't have trauma. I'm fine. Or, um, wanting to turn it off, that kind of feeling. So I understand why it's not really talked about, but I also think that the the plant spirit piece is missing. I haven't seen the plant spirit piece really worked with much in, in the poisonous plant community. So I think once you open the gate to plant spirit communication in relation to poisonous plants, I just, I can't see how you couldn't make this connection. Mm. Um, it just, it feels so um, integral to to these plants, to like their energy, to their spirit, to what they're putting out. Um, I am thinking about, so Owen and I watched a, a video, you did an online course, we weren't able to watch it live. So we watched it later. And mm. we'll talk about those more at the end too. But mm. uh, so this one was sort of an overview of different poisonous plants. And you also have a course that goes like more deeply into some mm -hmm. of them. And I know you do like plant journeys on in that course, but in mm -hmm. this one is really brief, like a minute or so to just kind of close your eyes and, you know, hold this plant in your mind or something. And so the plant mm -hmm. was belladonna, which I have no relationship with, really knew nothing about. And it was literally like a minute to just sit there, <laughs> right? And mm -hmm. I immediately um, feel the presence of an ancestor that I work with ancient through my mm -hmm. matrilineal line um grandmother and just kind of understood that she was going to be making this introduction she's a very shamanic mm -hmm. figure she just is like living in between worlds um 
hardly really even embodied on earth. She's so interesting. And she just sort of like pointed to my belly, which is a part of my body I am currently having issues with (laughs) since having um, my Mm -hmm. second baby three years ago. And Mm -hmm. I just like relaxed into it so quickly and felt this like red light sort of glowing in that area. And it was like, wow, that was like just a pretty powerful experience for 60 seconds of sitting there. And then you start speaking in the class and you're like, okay, like what, I think what you said is like, what's one word you would use to describe your experience? And I was thinking embodiment. I just got such a Mm -hmm. clear sense of like, be in your body and like love your body. And then you start talking about Belladonna and that's exactly like what, what you have gotten and what so many other people, especially women, you say, um, the message they get when they tune into the spirit of this plant. So yeah, I just love to hear about your relationship with Belladonna and your understanding of this plant. Oh, Belladonna. Um, so I want to say first, though, just to speak to that that plant spirit connection that you had. Um, it just it still like blows my mind um, doing that. Uh, what you did that experience of just one minute of dropping in, but then also when we do like a full journey, which is like twenty to thirty minutes, um, yeah. and just how there's just these threads that so many people experience the same images over and over again. And um, I've talked about this before, so I kind of think this this projection of Belladonna might be tainted um, for people coming to the course, potentially, like if they've listened to me on other podcasts. But for a long time, people were experiencing Belladonna. And this is how I first met Belladonna, as this woman, like anthropomorphized woman in a field dancing by herself alone at night or in the forest and that she had very little interest in interacting with with people and she would usually give like a very small amount of advice about embodying femininity or um, something like that or sexuality or um, embodiment things like that Um, and it just to have that same imagery come through so many different people who didn't know that that was going to happen ahead of time. Just, you know, I I think about how um, I think a lot of people would think that plant spirit communication is not scientific, but, but seeing the results that this happens, there's something there. Um, And I, I taught a class, um, last weekend where we journeyed with Belladonna and this time there was this thread um no pun intended here with scissors and threads and um cutting of things and that was coming up for almost everyone who shared and it just clicked in with me at the second person that shared I was like oh this is the latin name of Belladonna's Atropa Belladonna and Atropa comes from one of the Greek fates, Atropos, whose job it was to cut the thread of life. Mm. Um, That's amazing. So, <laughs> so it's, it's just, I don't know, it blows my mind. It's amazing. And it also to me shows that the plants are so willing and ready to be working with us, that they want to share these messages. They want 
um, us to be getting this. And belladonna, you know, is usually the first plant that I teach about in any class because I feel like, you know, so many people are drawn to detora right now. There's like a huge explosion of detora, but I have a feeling that belladonna is like coming up. <laughs> Like that, that healing is, is needed. I think Datora, it's like, I can't even not cry when I even <laughs> just think about Datora. Just like, and I know you've talked about Datora on this podcast before, but like sweet, loving grandmother and so needed right now. Um, but Belladonna, you know, you're asking to come back to the initial question about, you know, what's the energy of Belladonna? Um, I feel like Belladonna is really here to, at this moment in time, to help us, to guide us, to show us where our wounds are around femininity, um, which is very, I don't know what word to use, but dishonored right now in our world. Um, and, and by femininity, I don't necessarily mean gender. I mean, like, that crying is not okay. Um, that being embodied is not a part of our culture anymore. Um, being sensual, just, like, enjoying the sensuality of life without it having to be um, sexual. Like, that there's a difference. And, like, that we can get that kind of pleasure that's pretty much the same kind of pleasure from sex but like from just being alive from eating from just enjoying from seeing um, the beauty all around us that 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 helps us become more ourselves it helps us become more embodied it helps us to get more grounded here on this earth enjoying the beauty that's all around us and sensing it really feeling it and in, in ourselves and our bodies um and that uh, that really needs healing right now. Yeah, I mean, it's like so simple and it's one small thing in a vast field of things that need healing. But just, just if that one thing got healed, right? Like um, mm -hmm. sort of the collective feminine and then how individual women relate with their own bodies and their own experience of embodiment, how much could change? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. Were you going to say something? I well, I was. I also. I mean, I have so many thoughts. About yeah, Belladonna. I have well, two thoughts. Is one that has been surprising to me that um, I I have a Belladonna flower essence, and that most of the people I notice who buy it, um, like the the name on the shipping is is male names. Like it's men mm. buying this medicine, um, which has been really interesting to me. And surprising, but makes me really happy mm -hmm. <laughs> to see that. Um, and the other thing's not. We'll, we'll let that go. We'll come back. To okay. That. <laughs> uh, I, I was just going to say for anyone listening who has not been blessed to sit in a like plant medicine herbal class type setting where people do either like journey with the spirit of a plant or physically sit with a plant. I mean, it happens like every time that people have similar experiences. Mm -hmm. It's just, I've never seen it not happen in, in a class yeah. I've done. And it, it is so interesting what you're saying too about um, the, 
the message or the thing that people are getting with Belladonna shifting a little bit with your last class and like you're saying these these conscious sentient beings are willing to work with us and they're evolving as we're evolving and the interplay mm-hmm. of like the human and the plant is evolving. So, I mean, yeah. just imagine if, you know, we were all in more conscious connection with these plants and what what we would be learning and how we would be guided at this pivotal point in human history. The world would be completely changed. Yeah. So there's just one more little piece of what we can do. Um, I'm curious too, if you, if you would like to share just a little bit more about Datura, because it has been spoken about on this Mm -hmm. show with um, Sophia Rose in episode three and Marie Sue, who learned about it from Sophia Rose in episode Mm -hmm. 49. And yeah, just with this huge explosion in popularity um, with that, with that plant. um, Well, Datura is just a very powerful plant spirit. Um, A lot of people are familiar with Datura through Carlos Castaneda, and and unfortunately a lot of people are familiar with it as hearing horror stories of people trying to get high off of Datura and blacking out for days. (laughs) And uh, these are deliriants. Um, A lot of these plants, they're they they can have psychedelic effects, but they're they're deliriants. It's not like taking like psilocybin or LSD or something. It's not really something that should be used recreationally um, outside of ceremonial setting, um, and outside of people using it with someone who has experience, like generational experience, not just your friend that tripped on Dotoro one time and now is showing you how to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I feel like that's important to say because I get a lot of messages from people asking how can I trip on Datora and um, don't. Yeah, can I just interject real quick? I just Mm, read a random Facebook comment. I don't even think it had anything to do with an herbalist friend or anything, but someone was saying that um, they were moving and their husband, just by moving their Datura plant into the car, driving it to the new house and putting it like somewhere, Mm -hmm. had to be hospitalized. Oh from breathing yes. it in while, while he was in yes. the car. Yeah. So this is how powerful this plant is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, sometimes I tell this story. It's just like Brugmansia, which is very similar to Datora. A lot of people think that it's Datora. It's also known as angel's trumpet. Um, it has similar bell flowers, mm-hmm. but bigger and they point downwards. Um, and for me, if I just smell a Brugmansia plant, I'm like high for like, the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, yeah, very powerful. I've had many accidental journeys. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we need to be really cautious when, when working with these. Um, but, you know, when I started working with poisonous plants, I, because I had a little sense of, uh, had heard stories about Dotora and how, um, intense it was um I was like no I'm never working with Datora Datora is not for me not interested no thank you and uh Datora was like not having that um (laughs) and just kept showing up over and over again and um I think because I felt so cautious and 
um, moved so slowly and respectfully and gently. Um, I've never had anything but like pure, loving grandmother spirit from Datora. Um, and I think, I think the reason that Datora shows up and is showing up so much right now, I think it's a, a beautiful gateway um, plant into shadow work, into underworld work. I think it's the only, it's probably the only poisonous plant that I feel also has this kind of, for lack of better word, uh, word like angelic energy. Like it's not just this like underworld's shadow work, healing trauma, um, but it also, it has that, but it also has um, divine angelic kind of energy that is uplifting and heart opening and, and so sweet and so gentle and so beautiful. Um, and I think for a culture that is terrified of inner work <laughs> and shadow work, the Torah is like the perfect gateway between those two worlds you know, we, we, like in, in um, self-help and, and kind of new age world right now, it's all light and love, light and love, and um, just think positive and you'll only get positive experiences. And if you have something bad happen to you, it's probably because some negative thought pattern that you have. And um, I don't think highly of that perspective at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's, it's, there's what happened I think is that there's truth in that but it's been bastardized it's been um turned into like pithy slogans that don't really work like it just causes people to repress um things and just be like no I'm fine everything's fine yeah leads to spiritual bypass very quickly yes spiritual bypass and and um that it's like very damaging to the person doing it and also to the people around them. Yeah. It can be. Um, so I think even to like a light and love kind of person, Detour is a great like opener. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So beautiful too. Like you cannot oh be not touched in the presence of that mm-hmm. flower. And the smell, yeah. heaven. Yeah, I messaged you after I smelled it for the first time because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it was the smell that, uh, yeah, it just like transported me. Yeah, yeah, and and in the smell, there's so there's like the message yeah. is like in her smell, yes. right? It's like divine, sensual darkness. <laughs> yeah. Well, for me, I just immediately f- had this vision of a wormhole or a portal or just and it was kind of like um it was like this is for this is what's possible here as you deepen into this relationship Mm -hmm. but it was only the smell that brought that vision to me it wasn't looking at it or even sitting very close to it for a while Mm -hmm. in a meditative space it was as soon as I stuck my nose in it that that makes me a little (laughs) teary-eyed And I think just examples like that just also prove how strong that spirit is, that particular plant spirit, like how deep 
their reaches and how ready they are to work with us. Like we don't necessarily have to do that much to meet that spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask you, so this is a big conversation in herbalism, um, the gendering of plants and mm-hmm. the pronouns that we use, right? Of mm-hmm. course, related to this larger conversation we're having about human people. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. people have different arguments for different things to say. Like, I still see people using she. Of course, it's mostly mm-hmm. she. We hardly refer to any plants right. as males, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, saying she a lot. And um, I just tend to still say it. Um, mm-hmm. But then, you know, there's the school of thought that that, de not dehumanizes but um you know gives this like inanimate yeah objectifying sense to the plant and I get that too and so you are one of the many people who are using the gender neutral there and yeah I'm just curious you know how you came to do that and like why that feels right to you it was actually henbane that opened that more up to me um to me like Datora feels, I always meet Datora as kind of a grandmother, like a more feminine energy. Belladonna usually experiences more feminine energy. Um, so a lot of times I use she when I'm talking about them. Um, lately I've been kind of moving out of that, I think, but it doesn't feel wrong to me to, to use that, to use she. But Henbane was just, I've never met henbane in like an anthropomorphized form henbane always just kind of comes as this I don't know I don't even know how to explain it this kind of visions and um henbane is a a poisonous plant in case (laughs) you don't know um but it didn't feel right to use gender pronouns when talking about henbane because I didn't have an experience of either masculine or feminine energy from henbane so sometimes I use they or I use it a lot still, which I think about, I want to like stop using that, but it's so ingrained and into language. It can be hard. Yeah. It's like a process. <laughs> yeah. Unlearning. Yeah. And I mean, language and English especially is just an imperfect medium. It just is, you know, there's mm-hmm. problems with like all, all of the things we just talked about. Um, and ways that they're imperfect. And so I try to not get too caught up. And if I'm using it, I'm doing it in a loving way in which I totally recognize like the beingness of this plant. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think the plants feel offended by whatever pronouns we use. I think it's more for the humans hearing it, that they, they want inclusivity, but the plants, they don't, you know, they're like, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) please we are beyond language yeah it's yeah exactly exactly it it doesn't make sense I'm sure to them like even the idea of of pronouns is like (laughs) I'm not a pronoun um so you know since you are working with and teaching plant spirits um and you you know people working with poisonous plants will use essences like you make or some people use creams or topical solutions Mm -hmm. um but a big aspect of your work is is journeying and 
It's so useful and helpful, but can feel intimidating for people or hard to get there. Mm. Uh, for me, it's taken many years of practice and like building that muscle. So, and I was really thinking about that when I had like that one minute vision, you know, if I had been doing mm. this for a while and trying to do this with my ancestors and with other plants, I'm not sure if that would have happened so quickly. So I just always, I've talked about that many times on this podcast, like just keep trying, just keep going there keep, you know, mm -hmm. doing whatever meditation is feeling right for you. And it really is a muscle that you grow, but, um, you know, you, you have written about the work that you're doing with the poisonous plants is in part also to help revive these lost visionary lineages, especially from your mm -hmm. European, my European ancestors and these, um, you know, ways that were stamped out. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I guess I just want to hear you talk more about that. Like for you, has it been a muscle that you've built over time? And how do you find that people come into that work? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, like I said, I was talking to plants as a kid, but it was, it was not journeying really. I mean, it was different. Um, but I think that having years and years of meditation practice um, before I started doing journeying with plants is why uh, it, I was able to do it so, so easily. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, I recommend like at the beginning of any class that I teach, I have us do a meditation. I, I recommend, you know, everybody, if you're going to be working with plant spirits, having a mindfulness practice, I think is really important um, for a lot of reasons, but um, I think it can help also not only to quiet down the mind, but it can help you to differentiate what's projection and what's the actual plant communication. Um, and in that same vein, I also recommend cross-training with you know doing inner work doing psychotherapy body-centered psychotherapy um because it can be really easy to project our desires and our wounds onto plants um and your other your other thought about the the lost shamanic lineages um which I think about a lot. Um, I think that's also part of why poisonous plants are, are coming in strong right now um, is because I, I'm of European descent, um, mixed European, all, all white, I'm white, <laughs> but all kinds of European um, descent. And, you know, there's a lot of trauma in that lineage, I think, We've been the traumatizers in modern times, um, but you know wh where does that? I think there's so you had another guest on the on this podcast talking about that that traumatized people. Yeah, it's come up a few times, but Lila June especially. Yeah. Um, so, and I think it's especially. Um, I almost want to use the word dehumanizing. So I'm going to use that word. It might be kind of big but to be disconnected from our spiritual lineages mm -hmm. um, so when Christianity came in and stopped um, the indigenous religious practices or shamanic practices there's this major break 
in, in our ancestral psyche, um, you know, we couldn't use these plants anymore. <sighs> I feel really sad saying that. Mm-hmm. Well, and so many of the poisonous plants that we are talking about um, and that, you know, you teach about are, were specific to, to Europeans. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I feel so, yeah, I feel that these plants are reemerging right now um, because there is like so such a longing, there's like a lot of cultural appropriation and there's such a longing to reconnect with um, like entheogenic plants with shamanic lineages. And although I would definitely say that these plants are entheogenic, they're lineages are gone like they're broken like we're not going to get those back we don't have documentation um there's not like lines passing down the knowledge of how these were used how things were mixed you know when you you think of like ayahuasca there's a lot of things that go into that brew there's um and i imagine it's it, it was similar with with plants in europe as well um so I think, you know, me, myself, and I see other people also kind of trying to figure out how do we work with these plants. Um, I think it's going to be a slow rebuilding process. But as that's being rebuilt, not to say that plant spirit medicine is less than actually taking in the plant. I don't believe that at all. But we have that plant spirit medicine available to us anytime. We don't need to even have the physical plant with us. We don't even have to have ever seen a plant. A lot of times when I lead the journeys, most of my classes are online. So I'm not like in person with people. And um, we do the journey before we talk about the plant. A lot of times people have never seen what belladonna looks like. And then they have journeys where they still receive the medicine of belladonna um, yeah. Um, and so I think you have a pretty active dream life as well. And which is not surprising. Um, at least that you have had, you know, some, some big dreams and some plant visitations in your dreams. And Mm -hmm. you uh, specifically mentioned Amanita Muscaria. Uh, Mm -hmm. I would love to hear more about that. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, <laughs> I also feel so much love for that little mushroom. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was similar to Detora. I was like, I'm never working with this mushroom. Like, it makes people really sick and I'm not touching it. And then I dreamt about it <laughs> repeatedly. Um, it kept showing up in my dreams. I would have all these dreams where I was out foraging and gathering these mushrooms and um, gathering them, but with the knowledge, like, I don't know how to use this. Um, and and I think I finally decided to, to work with, with this mushroom, Amanita muscaria, also known as fly agaric, when I had this dream where my, um, my real-life garden gnome gave me uh, two dinner plate sized amanita caps <laughs> and told me it was safe to ingest them. Wow. Um, but that mushroom, it's, 
they show up in my dream in my dreams a lot in all kinds of different ways um I mean, all of these plants do, but I, I think that the Amanita muscaria definitely the most. And it's interesting. I think it makes sense that that happens because a lot of when you actually are taking um, the physical mushroom, um, the, I guess I'll, I'll use the word, the shamanic experience with them often comes through uh, sleep, through uh, prophetic dreams that you have that... I suspect you're not really asleep, um, but that's how it's it's described. So you you take this medicine, you have an intention of, I want to understand something, I want to get more clarity about something, I want to, you know, meet another layer of myself, and then you inevitably fall asleep, and through the dreams you have images that um, give you your answer. Um, that's that's one traditional way of working with them. So it makes sense that then they would show up in my dreams. Um, I'm just having a really neat experience right now. I'm not usually like mm -hmm. playing around online when I'm talking to someone, but I was like, oh yeah, what does um, the angel's trumpet look like? Mm -hmm. Which that's such a beautiful Latin name too for that plant. Well, mm -hmm. What was it again? Brugmancia, yeah. And then I was like, oh, what does Belladonna look like again? And I was looking at these images and there's this gorgeous piece of art and I click on it and it's um, my friend who painted it, Ben Beerling, who <laughs> lives here in Nevada oh, City. I know his paintings. Yeah. He's at the cover of um, this book about poisonous plants. Yes. By Daniel Shoup. Yeah, Shoup. I'm looking at Beneficium. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. With it has all it has like the yes. coming out of those. a human heart. Yeah, <laughs> it's gorgeous. Um, mm -hmm. He also painted the cover of Joanna Newsom's album *East*. Oh, which is amazing. Yeah. yeah, he's he's amazing. So yeah, these I'll I'll put um, you know links to his work in this photo probably in the um, in this episode on my website. So, so then you did go on to work with Amanita. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which I still have never done. And it's a being that I have never met in, in the wild, you know, growing. Mm -hmm. And I just, I literally think like all the time about when that day is going to happen, when I'm going to finally come <laughs> across, because it doesn't, it doesn't grow here. But someday we might have some variety. We do, there. and I've, I've never met the other variety either. But it's not the red, you know. It's not mm -hmm. the iconic Amanita. They, if they're very similar, I can't remember which one grows in California, but um, they're supposed to have. I notice I'm like hesitant a lot to talk about anything involving ingestion of these plants because they get worried about people misusing um, oh yeah be careful with amanita <laughs> <laughs> sure. it's i i've never heard of i don't think there's ever been reported deaths but they can cause damage to the body and also just like be generally unpleasant if you are not using them um intelligently yeah uh, I talked about this in episode six with Amy Woodruff also for anyone who's interested. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And it's 
like I am interested in actually ingesting that mushroom someday in a very careful way, but more, I, it's almost just like the mythic and iconic love for it you know all all my favorite children's books and you know the association with Santa Claus and Christmas time and um, you know having northern European ancestry and just really I just can't wait to finally meet it yeah I hope you do thank you so. <laughs> um so let's before we close out and talk a little bit about yeah the safety of these plants I really love that uh like like I said your your Instagram name is Persephone's Path like your your business Mm -hmm. is Persephone's Path um it so fits with what you're doing Uh, Mm um and I love talking to people about the myths that they resonate with so what what is it about the Persephone story that you know aligns with with you and your path Mm -hmm. Well, I think <laughs> just from the first time that I heard that myth as a little kid, it always just stuck with me. I think that a lot of people have myths like that, that those myths that just stay in your mind that you hear at one time and you just know it. Um, and the Persephone myth was was that for me. Um, but I... I went, (laughs) I've had many Persephone's journeys, like we all do, Um, like we're all having these journeys, you know, I much prefer the, the model of the Persephone's journey versus the hero's journey, like the hero's journey where you do XYZ and you win. Um, The Persephone's journey is cyclical that we have periods of light, we have periods of dark, we have times where we're, um, everything's like flowing beautifully and it's springtime and there's new blooms and life feels like fresh and good and renewed. And then inevitably we have times where things are painful and difficult and we experience loss and, um, and it's just the natural cycle of life, the natural ebb and flow of life. Um, and I think we all, need that medicine you know speaking about about light and love it's it's half it's half of of our life experience you know roughly is that that springtime that light and um it's inevitable that we're going to also have difficult times um but i guess that myth it wasn't really prominent for me during really hard times like as a teenager but Later, it helped me to kind of sift through and see um, that that was okay, that that was just a part of my process, that that was just a part of my becoming, and it's informed so much of my work. Um, whereas if I took the the notion of the the hero's journey or or a light and love approach, um, then then, then I would be considered like damaged, like, oh, I did something wrong or um, something was wrong with me, inherently wrong with me. Um, I had bad karma. <laughs> and, um, and it's just not true. Like we just, we all have these difficult times and it's totally normal. It's part of being human. It's part of being alive. And Persephone um, shows us that. 
Yeah. So we can still blossom and bloom even in the darkest time of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a mm-hmm. reminder of the cyclical nature of everything, mm-hmm. of the seasons and of our, our own lives and the, our inner experiences of living. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and like any good myth, it can be interpreted a million different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah uh, I think it was two years ago now, my now 13-year-old daughter was Persephone in the play at school, mm-hmm. and I was just like crying the entire time mm-hmm. because of these elements of of change, cyclicality, darkness, light, and then the mm-hmm. her mother, you know, like desperately trying to mm-hmm. like find her and bring her back, and you know, my mom had just died at that time and Mm. I just love my daughter so much so this mother-daughter element is something that I really like tuned into um when she was in that play and it's really stuck with me since then yeah that's an important part of the the story for a lot of people actually I had my mom has she had like never come to any class I ever taught or anything and um she came to one class earlier this year in um, in the poisonous plant. I was teaching it in person in New York, and um, the the six week course that I do, and, and week three is a, is about the Persephone myth. And she came to that class, so she got to hear me tell the story, and it was kind of surreal to have my mom mm-hmm. there. <laughs> um. Yeah, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think and. It, you know, people hear poison, and mm-hmm. I think, well, I think that a lot of something I didn't realize is that these plants have different effects on the body, like um, digitalis yeah. or foxglove stops the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, poison yeah. hemlock like slowly paralyzes the nervous system going up oh, the yeah. spine, <laughs> and so you die because you can't, your lungs can't expand anymore. That's the one that I don't want to die. Exactly. From. I mean, it's so funny because yeah. when I was first getting into herbal medicine and just thinking about the state of the world, you know, a thought I sometimes have is like, what would be the best way to kill myself if like it was that or some horrible death? Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, I'm like an herbalist now. Poison hemlock would be cool, you know. <laughs> and I was like yeah. trying to teach myself how to identify it so I could harvest some. Mm. And then I learned about how it kills. And I was like, oh, never mind. Yeah. Not <laughs> no, that one. It's not. Go, go with like, well, never mind. I'm not going to get the ideas, but... <laughs> I've thought about that. Like, well, if I had to die by a poison, which one would it be? Um, so I, I just wanted to like put that out there. And that's like a really interesting way to learn more about the plant too. You know, like digitalis affects the cardiovascular really? system, um, poison hemlock, the nervous system. I just like knowing those things. So and yeah, go ahead. Can I say something more about that? Is What's also interesting is that that digitoxin um, – is in like the leading heart medication. It's right. when we use these medicines in really small doses. So in the poisonous nightshade plants like Datura and Henbane and Belladonna and Brugmansia and Mandrake, they have tropane alkaloids and those are used for things, all kinds of things in um, quote unquote modern medicine, like pupil dilation for drying out the mucous membranes before surgery, um, for motion sickness, for, for all kinds of things. Um, so in the right dose, it's medicine. 
literally, physically. Right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I mean, nightshades also includes tomatoes and eggplants and, you mm-hmm. know, like common food mm-hmm. plants for us. Mm-hmm. Tobacco. Oh, yeah. Um, so just, you know, a final word on safety. If you want to be working with these plants, don't take them as tinctures. Don't eat them. Don't make a tea. (laughs) You can work with the spirit of the plant. Um, and that, you know, it's so important what you say that you don't, the plant doesn't have to be physically present to do that. Yeah. Um, or essences like the ones that you make, or, you know, some people make and sell like salves and creams and I've never done that. Is that something you do? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's safe. It's not something you want to like overdo or do every day, but yeah, there's oils and ointments, um, made specifically with those nightshade, um, plants that people use for pain management, for insomnia, for headaches, for menstrual cramps. Belladonna is great for menstrual cramps. Um, Mm -hmm nerve pain all kinds of stuff wow that's so cool yeah um so yeah let's end by telling people about your online courses and your shop and like just anything else where they can find you oh i don't want to <laughs> i know <laughs> <laughs> like we just started totally um, but this is why your courses are so great because people can really <laughs> go deep into these things yeah thank you yeah i um so I teach a six-week course. Um, one is happening right now, but um, I don't know if it'll still be going when this comes out, but I'll teach another one early next year where each week we go into one or two poisonous plants and we talk about the history, the lore, the the mythology, the medicinal uses, and we do a plant spirit journey um, every week. Um yeah, and uh, I also do a, a one-day workshop, um, which is a couple of hours, which is what you and Owen did, um, where we just kind of do an, a brief overview of, of a couple different plants and um, introduce the, the philosophy more deeply of, of plant spirit communication and poison as medicine, which is um, essentially what we've been talking about today, but we go a little bit more deeply into it. And then you have your shop. Yes, yeah, and I sell um, I sell a lot of different poisonous plant essences, which essences are really safe. You don't have to worry about um, poisoning yourself with them. Um, it's a good way to work with the spirit of the plant. And um, and yeah, I don't I don't sell any ointments or oils, but essences and other other non um, poisonous medicines as well. And I'm on Patreon also where I do classes every month, video classes and um, tarot readings on there and herbal medicine packages and things like that. And it's all under the name Persephone's Path. People are looking for you. Yeah, and on Instagram, I'm Persephone's Path. And um, my Patreon is is Catherine Soli. Okay. It's interesting. It's so hard. This this is like the hardest part is to talk about, promote myself. (laughs) Yeah, it gets easier with time. <laughs> I found. Mm. Uh, and just trusting that people are like, you know, with you because they're interested in what you're doing. So they they yeah. want you to promote yourself so they can find more of your work. <laughs> mm. um, thank you, Catherine. I'm really excited for myself to keep learning from you and just going deeper. 
with the plants and with my own um, like abilities in to have these visionary journeying experiences. So thank you so much. Mm, thank you, Amber. Thank you for taking these medicine stories in. I hope they inspire you to keep walking the mythic path of your own unfolding self. I love sharing information and will always put any relevant links in the show notes. You can find past episodes, my blog, and our handmade herbal medicines at mythicmedicine.love. We've got reishi, lion's mane, elderberry, mugwort, yarrow, redwood, body oils, an amazing sleep medicine, heart medicine, earth essences, so much more, more than I can list there, mythicmedicine.love. While you're there, check out my quiz, which healing herb is your spirit medicine? It's fun and lighthearted, but the results are really in-depth and designed to bring you into closer alignment with both the medicine that you're in need of and the medicine that you already carry and can bring to others. If you love the show, please consider supporting it at patreon.com slash medicine stories. It is so worth your while. There are dozens and dozens of killer rewards there, and I've been told by many folks that it's the best Patreon out there. We've got ebooks, downloadable PDFs, bonus interviews, guided meditations, giveaways, resource guides, links to online learning and behind the scenes stuff, and just so much more. The best of it is available at the $2 a month level. Thank you. And please subscribe on whichever app you use. Just click that little subscribe button and review on iTunes. It's so helpful. And if you do that, you just may be featured in a listener spotlight in the future. The music that opens the show is by Marie Sue. That's M-A-R-I-E-E. S-I-O-U-X from her beautiful song, Wild Eyes. Thank you, Marie. And thanks to you all. I look forward to next time.